We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. My name is Chris Plank. Thank you so much for subscribing, downloading, and of course, listening to the Sooner Sports Podcast. We have a busy episode for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL Combine, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, NFL scout, a guy who is in-depth whenever it comes to all of the uh, measurements and speeds and the ins and outs of the NFL Combine. Luke Easterling will join us from USA Today. That's coming up a little bit later on in the podcast. Plus, Toby Rowland will sit down with the head coach of the OU women's basketball team, Sherry Cole, as we begin our Bubble Watch 2018 for Sooner Women's Basketball after a tough exit from the Big 12 tournament. And, And then later in the show, Speaking of Bubble Watch, uh, I had a chance to catch up with Aaron Torres from Fox Sports Radio and The Athletic. Uh, Aaron's another guy that has had a keen eye on the NCAA tournament watch, bracketology, whatever term you use for this countdown to Sunday. So we'll get a little bit of perspective from Aaron Torres on exactly how he sees the Sooners and where he sees them potentially landing in the NCAA tournament. But let's start by talking to the voice, as we typically do here on The Game Plan. Toby Rowland joins us. And, boy, uh, Toby, this is March. This is one of the funnest times of the year. But now we are set up for a Wednesday that is filled with mystery, not only based on what, could happen if the Sooners win, but mystery on how they will play if, if it's a new start beginning in March, and it's what makes this month so fun. Listen, last year we were going to Kansas City 11-19. and 19. 
with no chance at not only the NCAA tournament, but the NIT or postseason of any kind. So the fact that something is on the line is fun. It's not just Oklahoma fans. It's Kansas State fans and Creighton fans and Auburn fans and Gonzaga and, you know, everyone who is a fan of college basketball who has a team in the hunt, or maybe not even in the hunt. You know, you show up at this thing and – you make a miracle. What was it, TCU last year that got to the championship, right, as the 9 or 10 seed? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Maybe it was the 7. But they were they were played on Wednesday night, I know, and got hot and then ended up winning the NIT after that. So um, if you have followed this sport for any length of time, you know, if you're as old as us, <laughs> you remember NC State and Villanova, of course, back in the 80s. More recently, remember the run UConn went on out of nowhere. Uh, the George Masons of the world that have somehow made it to the Final Four. Uh, this month for me is not about Kentucky and North Carolina winning a national championship. Who cares? Yawn. You know, that that's Alabama football. That happens every year. Maybe that happens again. But the fun of it is the Cinderella's. Amen. And the teams that come out of nowhere and the teams that get hot and the great stories. And you never know if it's your team. It's probably not your team because it rarely happens, but it could be. Could be. And so that's why, you know, you show up and you hope the switch gets flipped. And suddenly shots fall and you get hot and confidence swells. And before you know it, you're standing in the Sweet 16 going, maybe we could do this thing. Why not? So. Why not us? What are you talking about? We're the pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And then there is the downer. But uh, last year, TCU as the eight beat Oklahoma, beat Kansas, uh, and then lost to Iowa State before the Cyclones ended up winning the Big 12 tournament. Uh, And then, you know, I, I love this stat. Last year, you had South Carolina as a seven seed. 2016, you mentioned this, Syracuse. 2015, Michigan State was a seven seed. Kentucky was an eight in 2014 with Connecticut, who won the title, as a seven. 2013 was Wichita State as a nine. And then two years, uh, and then the year before that was when Shaka Smart took an 11 seed in VCU to the Final Four and an eight seed in Butler also made the Final Four that year. That's what six of the last seven years that you've had a seed seven or lower end up making wow. the Final Four. So there's limitless possibilities. Toby, did we see a flip switch on Friday night for this team? Um, you know, I don't think they played great. I, I think they they played as good on the defensive end as they have in a long time. So maybe so. They still didn't shoot the ball very well. Uh, you know, Trey, I think, was one of eight from three. And as a team, they shot 25%, maybe below that from three. But they played much better defensively than they have in a long time. So maybe on that end of the court. But they didn't, you know, it's not like they're back to the team we saw um, when OSU came to Norman. You know, the team that we saw several times early on that was hitting 15 threes a game. That, that's what needs to show up. They need to have a game like that, I think, to unclog the drain. You know, they, they need to have a 15 three-pointer game where Trey and Brady and Christian and Cam and they're running and slamming and grinning and having fun, and they go, oh, yeah. You know, that. not only do fans not remember what that was like, I don't think they remember what that was like. And so – that's what needs to happen. I don't know if it can. 
but that's what needs to happen. You buying that Wednesday's a play-in game for the NCAA tournament with both teams' resume, or are you feeling good about the Sooners right now? I don't feel as good about their chances as I did Friday night after the game. I think what happened Saturday put them in jeopardy a little bit. I think if Oklahoma wins, it's clear cut. Sooners are in, Cowboys are out. I think if OSU wins a close one, then it's very interesting on Selection Sunday because OSU would have beaten OU two out of three uh, and and won some big games down the stretch, and OU again, you know, didn't finish very strong. If OSU wins by a comfortable margin, OU I think could be in jeopardy. They've started to show up on the bubble of these things. You know, you have two or three conference tournaments not go to the favorites, and all of a sudden, you're either in Dayton or you're not in it altogether. So I don't know if it's a play-in game. I think if Oklahoma wins, it definitely is. If OSU wins, there are going to be a lot of nervous people on Sunday, I think. Baseball was fun, though. You had a, I know it was a yeah. little bit of a longer game than I dealt with. I think we got two in while you played one on Saturday. Um, but, of course, we did have a couple of run rule games there. But that Saturday night, that was something else. Yeah, it was good to see. Um, was good to, for them to take two of three. It was good to see them uh, pitch the way they did on Friday and Saturday against a really good hitting team. Uh, I think that gives you a lot of faith going forward. And, you know, we everybody believed in Jake Irvin, but the bullpen, Devin Perez, uh, everybody on Friday and Saturday did a great job through 20 innings of baseball, Ooh. limiting Bama to five runs. So, and, and then they showed you on Sunday how good they are at the, at the plate. And... Um, you know, for the offense to come alive like it did on Saturday, that was cathartic as well. So, yeah, Sunday left a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But if you step back, you take two of three against a quality SEC team, that's going to look good on the resume. Good stuff from Toby. He's the absolute best. And make sure you follow him at T-Row-O-U. Incredible information on all the games that he covers. And, of course, tons from Kansas City. And hopefully, hopefully on Friday's edition of the tailgate, we'll actually be joined live from Kansas City by Toby Rowland. Hope that there's still games to be called come Friday at the Big 12 tournament. Well, as I mentioned, you always like to get an outsider's perspective, or maybe in this case, an insider. Fox Sports Radio, The Athletics, Aaron Torres joins us right now on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Aaron, I'm curious, do you see the Sooners in or out now as you start breaking down the NCAA tournament field? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm a UConn alum, so... Uh, your Sooners have a lot better chance than my Huskies do, if that makes you feel any better. Uh, but no, I, I think Oklahoma is going to be fine. You know, it's interesting because this kind of quadrant system, I don't really know how different it is than what has happened in the past, but really what's going on with Oklahoma is that they're being rewarded. The fact that they're still in the field of 68 in most projections and every projection that I've seen actually just means that they're being rewarded for the totality of their season more than the last two, three, four weeks. Um, you know, this is a team that in the out of conference beat some really good teams. They, they showed out pretty well at the PK-80 tournament. They beat USC in a game that I was at at the Staples Center. Obviously, had some nice wins at the start of Big 12 play. Look, I'm not going to lie. I would, I would win one more game at the Big 12 tournament just to be safe. But even if they don't, I think they're in. 
Uh, again, part of it is just what everybody else does around college basketball, but I think you're safe going into Selection Sunday a week from today. I'm curious. Whenever everyone gets together and they have the Field of 68 meeting and this now very, I guess you can say, transparent process that we go through when it comes to selecting the teams, are you a believer that star power matters? In other words, uh, let's just say hypothetically you have a team like Oklahoma that's on the bubble. Does having a Trey Young help them out? Does having a guy that seems to be kind of the talk of the college basketball world, does it help some of these teams that might be on the bubble maybe get in, or does it help maybe some teams get a little bit of a higher seed? You know, I don't think so. Um, it's really interesting. So a couple things. One, you know, last year, and they didn't have the quadrant system last year, but last year probably the first team that was left out of the NCAA tournament was Syracuse. And Syracuse, Jim Beheim, you know, I, I, he's a star by college basketball definition. He is a notable name, um, an interesting character to say the least. You know, I don't know that that comes into play. I, I do think that over the last couple of years, the committee has leaned more heavily towards the power conference teams. I think their just kind of belief is that it's kind of like the college football deal where Alabama with one loss just feels sexier than Central Florida with zero losses. And I think that's kind of how the committee has really approached things is if Texas, for example, has it's 18 and 14, but but the committee believes that the the Big 12 is the toughest conference in college basketball. They're going to reward them as opposed to the second team from the Mountain West or the second team from Conference USA. I'm not saying that I like that personally. I just think that that is kind of uh, how the committee has approached things the last couple of years. I don't know that star power matters. I will say this, though. I do think it matters in – uh, bracketing and matchups. And, and the committee can Agreed. sit here and say, yeah, like the committee can sit here and say, oh, we don't even look at that. Well, when, you know, Kentucky plays Indiana one year in the second round, and then last year they played UCLA and North Carolina, Duke always, like, like I don't know, like that part seems to, to play a role to me. So, look, I think it's a great question, and I, I don't think anyone would ever admit it publicly but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody moves up or down a seed line so we can get a sexy second-round game or Sweet 16 game. Uh, but as far as the bubble, I don't know if it has as much of an impact. With a whole new quadrant system, I'm still educating myself, so we might have to have an entire podcast dedicated to that after we get through March. Maybe we can bug our buddy Ben Cole Jelly or even get the great Joe Castiglione to come on the show with us because I think there is a lot to still be learned about the new quadrant system in college basketball. Well, it was a frustrating Saturday morning for the OU women's basketball team. They fought, they scratched and clawed, but came up just short. Despite the incredible comeback, OU finds itself very much on the bubble right now, and Toby Rowland caught up with Sherry Cole earlier today to get Coach's perspective on the season that was and what lies ahead. I don't know if I've ever been more frustrated. I was throwing things at the TV. I was contemplating uh, driving downtown and yelling at a referees myself. I was just out of my mind frustrated watching the game on Saturday. I don't know what I expect. I don't know what I expect you to say to that, but... Uh, uh, that the, the, the poor uh, Vivi is all I'm going to say. Poor Vivi. Well, you know what, Toby? Um, there were a lot of factors that we could have controlled, and we didn't. Um, TCU shot incredibly well in the second quarter. They're six or seven from three, and 
I don't know, 75% from the field, I think. Um, and yet we cut it to 15 and, and in the third quarter come back and with a flurry get within one and um, had our chances, you know, a, a lack of urgency. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how you're not urgent in the Big 12 tournament, but um, we weren't urgent defensively in transition. And in that second quarter when BB was in foul trouble and Maddie was in foul trouble, um, our shot selection was just uh, really, really poor. Five really poor shots that then led to lack of urgency and defensive transition. And those are all things we can control. Yes, would we have preferred to have not have VV on the bench for 20 minutes of the game? Yeah, we would have. But that being said, the rest of us uh, didn't take care of our business and didn't do our job. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy game in which I think there were like 67, 68 free throw shots. And they shot 39 of them, so mm. 32 points from the free throw line for them. It's just almost hard to wrap your head around. That is amazing. Uh, you know, you think of postseason play, and usually kind of the M.O. is it's a little more physical. They let them play a little bit more, but it was a parade to the free throw line. Uh, it, your third quarter comeback was valiant. It was inspiring, and, and Maddie kind of led the charge there. She seemed to bow up her chin and say, we're not – losing today i thought she was fantastic for you yeah i agree in the second half i think what she's got to do is play four quarters like that you know you if if you come out if she comes out with that does does tcu ever feel like they have a chance do they ever get that margin i don't know none of us know because that's not how she began the game but her third and fourth quarter were were what we expect her to be they were impressive they were as you said inspiring I thought she left her heart out on the floor, and um, that's the kind of, when I talk about urgency, that's the kind of urgency that every player in a Sooner uniform should have from the opening tip till the final buzzer. You don't know for a week now what your fate is. You don't know your opponent, your destination. Um, So how do you handle the next seven days? Well, you give them a couple of days off, which obviously we had yesterday off. We'll take today off. And then we'll go back to practicing and work on getting better. I'll tell you that, in my opinion, the, the greatest area of improvement that where we, we have to focus for the next week is in that space between an offensive possession and the defensive possession. And you may say, oh, you're talking about transition. Well, I am, but I'm talking about the few seconds before transition as well. When a shot goes up, what do you do? Are you running at the rebound? Are you going to crash? Or are you running back in full check? That instant that the shot goes up, we've got about a four-second lag time there where we got a lot of people doing nothing, and we got to purge that from our system. If we can do that in the next week, then we got a chance to do some crazy good stuff. I'm not going to ask you whether you think you should be in or not. I've done that 20 times already, and, and I know uh, your answer but I do want to give you the platform to say uh, what you said on your show the other night, kind of the message it sends if you're not in about scheduling. Well, we have the number two toughest schedule in the nation, um, and I think that it is our charge as coaches to grow this game that we schedule, and the message that is sent if we are punished for that is that uh, you should just schedule games that you know you can win in November and December, um, and and that puts you in a position to be in the tournament because 
we won enough conference games, obviously, to uh, put ourselves in that position. We finished third in the toughest, one of the toughest leagues in the country, number two, number three, RPI strength of schedule league is what I'm talking about. And um, we finished third. And so there's a, a resounding message that's sent if, if we don't get in, and it is in regard to how you schedule in November and December. I don't think that's the message the committee wants to send. With with as experienced as your team is, certainly a uh, a unique weapon like Vivi. Do you feel like if you get in, when you get in, you're a dangerous team? Oh, I definitely feel like we're a dangerous team. I think that we have a, a lot of different weapons. I think that we have to use those weapons collectively and that they have to be wrapped in an urgency like no other. And, I, I again, I go back to that word. I did not feel like uh, we were urgent until our back was absolutely against the wall and they were about to throw the last shovel of dirt on our head in the Big 12 tournament. And urgency has to be something that you start with and you substitute with and you rotate with. It has to be a part of, of everybody's mindset and performance. And, and that's just the way it is in postseason. You do that, and oh my goodness, the story you can tell. I, it, it's just, it's there for us. And the only thing that, um, that we really have to do in order to be able to make some serious noise and do some great stuff in the NCAA tournament is be urgent in all of our endeavors. That's the deal, that's the X factor. I thought one uh, encouraging thing, one of the encouraging things on Saturday was the play of Ana Yanusa in her first postseason game as a true freshman, uh, you know, hit four three-pointers, and, and I thought I thought played exceptionally well for you. Ana was really good uh, offensively, and uh, there were a few possessions defensively where she anticipated in the end of the second quarter and kept the wheels from completely falling off the wagon. Uh, defensive transition, she's got to get better. There were a couple of those threes that occurred because she was lost in defensive transition, and she's got to uh, communicate more defensively. But I will tell you this about Anna: Every big game we've had this year, she's played well. I think that's something great players do. When, when the lights are bright and the stage is big, big players play in a big way. And I, I think that uh, she's going to be one of the great ones. I think her mindset, her work ethic, texting me all day long yesterday, watching the video, taking a clip on her phone, sending it to me. Coach, what should I have done different here? That's a kid that wants to learn. That's that's a growth mindset and a sign of greatness in the future. Last question. We'll let you go, Coach. Um, you know, you don't know if you're in. We're not going to know for a week. Psychologically, how do you handle this with your team? I know you can kind of – close out the speculation and the bracketologies and all that kind of stuff. But in the Twitter age and the social media age, it's kind of hard for your team to do that, I would think. So how do you handle all of the unknown with them psychologically this week? Well, we hope that we have laid the groundwork for all that over the course of the year in terms of teaching them how to be deciders of what they listen to or what they assign value to. Will they hear the chatter? Will they see the chatter? Absolutely they will. But then internally, as individuals, they have to decide what they give their energy to. What are you going to think about all the time? Who are you going to actually 
listen to? Um, what are you going to allow yourself to read and get caught up in? Where are you going to put your energy? We as human beings get to decide that. And hopefully we have been teaching that since for our freshmen since last June for our seniors for four years that you get to decide. And there is absolutely nothing gained. What I told our team when we got back to Norman before we dispersed, there's absolutely nothing gained with worrying about a bad outcome or rolling around in the negative what if. There is absolutely a ton to be lost if you roll around in all that and you do get in and you haven't prepared yourself for that. So the only wise thing to do is to prepare as if you're going to make a run all the way through the NCAA tournament. Put yourself in a position to be ready when the opportunity comes. I hope they're in. I think they're in. But we'll see how things play out. Of course, the selection show coming up next Monday. All right, let's wrap up this podcast by heading to Indianapolis. If you haven't had a chance to check out Soonersports.com or any of our social media platforms, the OU Football Instagram feed has been phenomenal. The uh, OU Athletics and OU Football Twitter feed has been incredible with its coverage. So kudos to Tori Kukowski, uh, who is actually there, and he'll join us on Friday's podcast, uh, Matt Archibald. Uh, E-Train, Erica, Harlow. I mean, they've done an incredible job with everything that you are are seeing right now from the Combine from Soonersports.com. So what did we learn? What did we learn about the actual prospects? Luke Easterling joins us, USA Today Draft Insider. Luke, let's start with Baker. Uh, How impressive was this weekend for Baker Mayfield? Honestly, man, I thought he was the best quarterback of the group. Uh, I think that, you know, sometimes it can be – because the rest of the group doesn't play as well as you thought, which I thought, you know, I thought Lamar Jackson, you know, had some moments where he struggled. Not that it really wasn't expected, but, uh, you know, Josh Allen had some highs and lows. Josh Rosen had highs and lows. Sam Darnold didn't throw at all. So I think it was really an opportunity for Baker Mayfield to um, show off his consistency. And I think that's what he did. I think that if, if Baker Mayfield was 6'3 or 6'4 instead of six feet tall, uh, I think the conversation nationally would be a little bit different about how much better he performed and, and how how much better he looked than the rest of the, the quarterback group because I, I just feel like he's such a consistent player. His mechanics are clean. Uh, he threw the ball really, really well. I think people just kind of look in the nitpick him because he's not the most orthodox, prototypical guy, both physically and you know because of his personality. Uh, I just think that you know the, the, it's easy to ignore the fact that he had a really clean workout. Man, I could talk to you about quarterbacks for like eight hours, but I know that we've got a lot to get to when we want to talk a lot about the Sooner guys. So I'll stay with the positive. I'll stay with the good. Uh, Mark Andrews seemed to have a solid day. Did he help his stock, or is this just a situation where there's three really good tight ends in this draft and it's a matter of which one a team falls in love with? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think there's probably you know, three or four guys – that could all be the first tight end off the board. It's just going to depend on what team likes what guy and how they fit within their offense. So, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard from South Dakota State is kind of the most intriguing guy coming from a small school that has tons of athleticism. Mike Gusecki had a fantastic workout, uh, probably the best workout of any tight end, uh, one of the best workouts we've seen from a tight end recently. But he's more of a, you know, stand out and be like a big wide receiver type of guy instead of playing in line. Mark Andrews, I think the thing that – keeps him uh, one of the top two tight ends in this class, even after Gusecki's workout, at least for me, is the fact that I think he's probably the most complete tight end in the draft. I think he can block. I think he can make, you know, stretch the field 
uh, work the seams. I think Baker Mayfield took advantage of him uh, as often as possible. And I think an NFL quarterback will see a similar kind of player at the next level. So whether he's the first one off the board or not, I think he may be the most immediate uh, impact player from this group because he's so polished and such a complete player. He can stay on the field on all three downs and do everything you want. Luke, uh, sticking with the Sooner things, not all uh, was rosy. It wasn't necessarily the best day for Orlando Brown Jr. And I think we all knew that he wasn't necessarily going to test well. And I didn't know if it was going to be that bad. How much did that hurt him on, what, Thursday or Friday whenever everything kind of came to a head for Orlando? You know, it was really disappointing. Honestly, one of the worst workouts I've seen from anybody. And, you know, Orlando's a guy that we've had – you know, an interview with him on DraftWire right now. He's a great, great person, uh, and you really root for him at the next level. I really think he has the talent to, to, to be a starter at the next level. And it, this is one of those things where anytime you have a insanely good workout or an insanely bad workout at the Combine, it should only do the same thing, which is make you go back to the game tape and say, oh, my God, is this guy really this bad of an athlete on tape? Does it really show up within the football game? Or is it a situation where he's a, a good football player who just doesn't test well? So I, you have to, either way, if it kind of, if there's a workout that raises your eyebrows in one direction or the other, it should take you back to the game tape. And I think the game tape tells a little bit of a different story from for Orlando than we saw uh, with the uh, the spandex on. You know what I mean? I'm looking for football players. They don't play combine on Sundays. They play football. So. I think while it could hurt his draft stock because this offensive tackle class is a lot deeper than the one we saw last year, not that that was very hard to do, um, but I, you know, even if he is a day two pick instead of a first round pick now, it's it's going to be how he finishes and how he moves forward from that that's going to determine him. He's not going to be, you know, his career isn't settled just because he had a poor workout. How do you balance that? Luke, whenever you're going through your evaluation process between what you see on tape and what you see in the numbers and the performances in the combine, is that a challenging balance for you? I mean, I think it's probably a challenging balance for everybody, and I think it's always about trying to sharpen yourself every year. Every year we go through this process, I try to look back and say, you know, who's a guy I missed on and why? And You know, that can happen two or three years down the road. You know, I uh, down being down here in Tampa, they spent a top ten pick on Mike Evans. Mike Evans was a guy that I looked at as an evaluator and saw a guy who could run past everybody and jump over everybody. But I wondered how he'd be able to be successful against NFL corners and, and you know without kind of diversifying his his route tree and stuff like that. But he came to Tampa Bay and has been one of the best receivers this team has ever seen. And that takes me back to my process and says, you know, where do where did I miss? Where, yeah. where can I get better as an evaluator? So, that, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I like to tape much better than the workouts. What the workouts can do is separate guys who you have graded really, really close together. And this receiver class is very uh, indicative of that because there's kind of a log jam past Calvin Ridley from Alabama. There's probably 10 or 15 guys that aren't separated by much. So the workouts really allow you to say, well, these guys are really close together, but this guy showed he's a little bit more explosive. This guy showed he's a little faster. This guy dropped a couple of balls in the gauntlet. That's when it starts to separate things. It's it's kind of the, the combine's a garnish. It's not the meal, if you know what I mean. I like that analogy, Luke. That's money. Uh, yeah, pro day's coming up. I want to get into what's next here in just a second, but real quick, uh, I know you as a traditional kind of old school mindset, love the fullback, but 
when you come out as a fullback, you kind of know where you're slotted. I don't know if you're going to see a guy sneak into the fourth or third round. So in the case of Dimitri Flowers, is it just a case of him being a sixth-round guy and maybe similar to our tight end conversation, finding a team that really wants you in their offense and you fit in what they do? Yeah, that's what it's about. I mean, those guys have to look at it. Uh, you know, fullbacks are almost kind of viewed as specialists now because the, the league is moving different directions. But I still feel like you have enough offenses out there that realize the value of that, uh, both in the running game, the passing game, and especially guys who can, you know, go and catch the ball. They can block. They can pass protect. Those guys still have a place in today's NFL. Uh, and, and it's not about where you go in the draft. It's about finding the right fit and, and delivering once you get on the field. Once you get to training camp, we see it every single year. Once we get to training camp, the, the shine wears off of the, you know, the pictures that you take with Commissioner Goodell up there with your jersey, and that's all well and good. When you put the helmets on in the summer and it gets hot, you got to come to work. You got to perform. So, it, you know, we're going to continue to see every year guys that went undrafted, guys that went on, on day three, make a splash because they get the work done, and it's not about just the, you know, the glitz and the glamour that we see during the, the TV stuff. Pro Day's next for a lot of these guys, and then it's just different interviews, private workouts. Luke, how important is this next month leading up to the draft for, uh, I, I don't want to just say some of the prospects, but most of the major prospects in the draft? Is this a big time for them, or have decisions been made? I mean, it's a big time for certain people. I think for everybody, the key for Pro Day's is, for the love of God, don't get hurt. Uh, you know, we, we saw... You know, Sidney Jones was maybe the top corner in the draft last year. He tears his Achilles at his pro day workout and goes halfway through the second round and misses almost his entire rookie season. So I think if you're, uh, if you're an agent, you really hate <laughs> that part of the process because you're like, oh, my God, please just don't do anything seriously you know, bad to, to hurt your health. So I think what it, who it really matters for, um, I think it matters for the quarterbacks. I think it matters to have those private workouts, those pro days to – separate yourself and, and convince teams picking high in the draft who need quarterbacks that you are the guy. You can be the face of the franchise. I think it's most important for the guys that didn't get invited to the combine, the guys that were on the bubble. We saw a guy that I was, you know, I'm going to toot this horn as long as I can, but Kevin Byard out of Middle Tennessee State a couple of years ago was a guy I was banging the drum for all year long, didn't get invited to the combine, blew up his pro day, Was in, ended up being the first pick of the third round by the Titans and was an all-pro last year. So, those are the guys that will take advantage with the chip on their shoulder. Fine, you didn't invite me to the combine. I'm going to blow my my pro day out of the water, and then I'm going to perform once I get to the field on Sunday. I am overly excited for the NFL draft with the possibility of four Sooners going in the first round. Obviously, we'll see how things pan out come pro day here on March 13th as well at the University of Oklahoma. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of The Game Plan. Thank you so much, as always, for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Make sure you share, spread the word, Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And don't forget, on Friday's edition, we hope Toby will still be in Kansas City calling basketball games. Tori Kukowski from the digital side of Soonersports.com will join us to recap what was uh, a very interesting week in the Combine for several Sooners. And, of course, we'll be talking some Sooner softball as OU get set for what arguably is its uh, biggest home RPI game of the season with South Carolina coming to town. And how about Skip Johnson's crew? Big series win this weekend over Alabama. They got Texas A&M Corpus Christi coming up this weekend as well. So I've already loaded up the tailgate for Friday. Can't wait to get there. Have a great week. Don't forget, subscribe, share, tell a friend. And as always, thank you for listening. And Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. 
Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.